Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And I am also the interim chief executive officer of the Alberta Prosperity Project. What exactly does that mean? Well, it just means that I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing for the last couple of years, only in a more formal capacity. That's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun as well. So before we get going with our webinar tonight, which is entitled End Equalization Now, Unleash Alberta's Prosperity, I want to touch on something real quick. And I'm sure our guest, uh, Jeff Rath, would like to speak on this as well once, he, once he's on the show. So there has been some rumor as of late that the Alberta Prosperity Project uh, and the people within it, the organizational structure and the leadership don't have any problem with what the World Economic Forum and the global elites want to do, what they want us to do. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The Alberta Prosperity Project stands firmly against the anti-human agenda that the WEF, uh, in conjunction with the UN, with their sustainable development goals, is trying to push on us. We absolutely are against everything they want to do. Now, that might sound weird because you say, oh, well, they want to do some good things, like they want clean drinking water for all. Oh, they want this for everybody. They want these great things. But it's shiny and great on the surface, but when you dig into it, what they want to do, it's horrendous. And you're going to see and hear a lot about that in the coming week because uh, one of our friends, uh, Mr. Jasper Smith, is coming from Holland to talk to you about some of the WEF policy that has harshly infiltrated Holland and is causing some serious problems. It's caused serious problems everywhere it's been implemented. It's caused, it's going to cause serious problems for Alberta and for Canada once it's here. And if we don't stand up and do something, it's going to come here. One of the things we have to do as Albertans is we have to take control over everything we have sovereign jurisdiction on, and we need to stand on our own two feet so that we can stand against what the WEF and the globalists want for us, which is anti-human. One of the things we need to do, and one of the ways we can accomplish that, is by keeping our dollars, our dollars, in this province so that we can use them to fight against this global agenda. And a very, very good way to do that is to end equalization now and unleash Alberta prosperity. So without further ado, I would like to welcome our friend, Mr. Jeffrey Rath to the to this uh, webinar. Um, and Jeff, I, I'm we've had these conversations about this stuff before, uh, and I know you got a lot to say on on this. Why do we have to end equalization now? <clears throat> Well, I'd like to thank you uh, for having me on tonight, Chris. It's obviously a very important uh, topic. I mean, first of all, you know, to put things into perspective, everybody needs to remember that in 2021, 61.68% of Albertans voted to end equalization, period, full That's stop. Right. We had a referendum in this province on the issue, and Albertans voted overwhelmingly to bring an end to equalization. And of course, you know, at the time that was, you know, uh, under the under the Kenny regime. And I think a lot of us, you know, were of the view that anything that would get in the way of Jason Kenny's federal ambitions, you know, to become prime minister of Canada, which, you know, in, you know, which from a federal political perspective means continuing to keep Ontario and Quebec happy, um, which mm -hmm. effectively translated into maintain the status quo at all costs, regardless of the fact that 61.68% uh, of Albertans voted overwhelmingly to end equalization in this province. So that's what we're dealing with right now. So, you know, we have a clear mandate for the present government to end equalization and to end the status quo that literally in the last, between 2010 and 2018, saw, listen to this number, for an eight-year period, $189 billion leaving Alberta in an eight-year period, $189 billion, right? That's a big number. In that same period, Quebec received $144.8 billion, Nova Scotia, $63.5 billion, New Brunswick, $44.4 billion, PEI 
$4.3 billion, and Newfoundland, $14.8 billion. It's no coincidence that those provinces are the provinces that effectively elected um, uh, Justin Trudeau as Prime Minister of Canada. And again, you know, the math is clear, you know, on this, that literally, you know, Alberta is being forced to pay for all of these left-leaning policies in these different jurisdictions. We're paying for Quebec to have a balanced budget to be able to retire its debt, and it's doing it on the backs of, of Alberta taxpayers while pretending to be a have-not province. The other thing that we yeah, we, we finance. We finance the vilification of the very resource that enriches those provinces. Well, I mean, we're just constantly, I mean, the convoy was a perfect example of it. I mean, we're constantly being insulted and called names by the elites of Ontario that heaven forbid that, you know, a number of Albertans are, who are extremely unhappy with the way we're being governed show up in Ottawa to protest. And, uh, you know, we're called, you know, extremists, we're called racists, you know, all the names that they want to call it. Well, continuing to have their handout for all of our money. Quebec won't let us put pipelines through their province uh, because heaven forbid that, you know, Alberta's dirty oil flows through Quebec. Um, you know, well, the, the cash is fine. Re reap the benefits of our money. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, enough is enough. The, the other thing is that, you know, we need to focus on is that the current equalization scheme, um, and we'll deal with the constitutional aspect of in a minute but equalization only works if there's consent from the provinces section 36 of the constitution itself is probably one of the most weakly drafted constitutional provisions in the entire constitution i'm not the only constitutional scholar to have this view the fraser institute um peter, the renowned constitutionalist peter hogg shares my view of section 36 of the constitution act it's basically uh, you know a, an aspirational statement that is not you know barely enforceable in a legal sense and let me just quickly read section 36 to people so people can understand exactly what i'm saying so section 36 one it says without altering the legislative authority of parliament or of the provincial legislatures or the rights of any of them with respect to their legislative authority Parliament and the legislatures, together with the government of Canada and the provincial governments, are committed to A, promoting equal opportunities for the well-being of Canadians. Well, you can promote equal opportunities without taking $189 billion out of Alberta. We could pay for some, you know, we, we could pay for some newspaper ads or some TV ads for a fraction of that amount that would promote equal opportunities for the well-being of Canadians. I mean, again, what the hell does that phrase even mean? Um, 36B, furthering economic development to reduce disparity and opportunities. Again, does that mean that Albertans have to fork over $189 billion, um, of $144 billion of which goes to Quebec? That doesn't say that. The next provision, 36 sub C, providing essential public services of reasonable quality to all Canadians. Well, every province, you know, is responsible for providing its own public services. You don't need $189 billion from going from Alberta to Quebec to, to accomplish that goal. Um, you know, these other provinces are capable of raising taxes. The federal government is capable of, you know, bringing in programs to, um, uh, you know, to assist in uh, providing better public services in other provinces out of existing tax revenue without taking money out of Alberta. But the simple mm -hmm. fact of the matter is these wishy-washy provisions that really don't equal Alberta should pay $189 billion every eight years to Quebec and the Maritimes, uh, you know, can't, you know, should not be interpreted that way. Then section oh. 32, sorry, I'm just going to finish with the section. Yeah, yeah, so again, yeah. understand how wishy-washy this whole thing is, says, Parliament and the government of Canada are committed to the principle of making equalization payments. So that doesn't create a requirement on Alberta. It just says that Parliament and the government of Canada are committed to the principle of making equalization payments. So good for them, right? Um, you know, to ensure the provincial governments have sufficient revenues to provide 
reasonably comparable levels of public service at reasonably comparable levels of taxation. It doesn't mean they're entitled to the same public services that Alberta has. It doesn't mean that they're entitled to the, have the, the same tax rates that Alberta has for the provision of public services and that Alberta has to pay for them. These are vague commitments that the federal government is committed to in principle, but certainly creates no legal obligation on the province of Alberta, who expressly under Section 36 says, you know, has not given up any of its legislative authority within the province. So the next point, and I see this is a question from from uh, from Len Paul, um, talking about um, the extent, the recent extension to equalization. So we found ourselves in a position in 2019 where, without the authority of the Alberta Legislature, without the consent of the Alberta Legislature, or any um, agreement from the Alberta Legislature, Justin Trudeau unilaterally extended the previous five-year equalization formula without Alberta's acknowledgement or consent. So Because he thinks he can. Well, and, and of course, Jason Kenney, because Jason Kenney never wanted to take on the issue of equalization because of his federal aspirations. We're, you know, we're stuck in a circumstance now where Albertans are paying, and I would submit illegally, that... that $189 billion every eight years is leaving our province without the authority of the Alberta legislature. So, you know, what I'm hoping that Danielle Smith and her new um, finance minister and president or Nathan or Nate Horner can get their heads around is the fact that they are fiduciaries. They have fiduciary obligations to the province and the citizens of Alberta and the duties of a fiduciary with regard to other people's money is pretty simple. It's like, you know, the the legal test is, you know, that you would manage those funds in the same way that any reasonably prudent person of business would manage their own affairs. Okay. That's the, that's the legal test for free obligation. So my question for everybody listening tonight is would any reasonably prudent person of business managing their own affairs allow $189 billion of their money to leave the province every eight years on, on, when there's no clear legal obligation to do so. So that's what, you know, that's why I'm, you know, advocating that, uh, uh, you know, that the Alberta government immediately pass legislation uh, to bring an end to any further equalization payments being made under this illegal regime. The other thing that I'd like to bring to people's attention is that the so-called have-not provinces have gotten really, really good at cheating the equalization system, all right? And, uh, you know, like a good portion of Quebec's finance department, you know, know, spends its time uh, trying to figure out how to keep itself as a have-not province. Because obviously it works really well for them in 10 years. Quebec has managed to siphon $144 billion out of Alberta while continuing to look down their noses at us for, uh, you know, for all of our dirty oil. So, you know, from that perspective, the Alberta, the Alberta government and the Alberta legislature need to take the same steps that Quebec takes and in terms of the management of its finances. And one of the big ways Quebec manages to cheat equalization and to continue to maintain its status as a have-not province is it exempts its hydro revenues from the equalization formula by um, creating a phony royalty on the water. So they say, oh, okay, well, if natural resource revenues um, come under the equalization formula and part of equalization is based on, you know, on that, they charge a minuscule royalty on the water that flows over their hydro dams, which they claim is a, and incidentally, BC and Ontario have the have, do the, have the same scam running. Um, whatever water runs over the dam, they charge a minuscule royalty on. Let's call it a penny an acre foot or whatever. However, they measure the water as it goes over the dam, and then they say, "Oh, but all of the revenue that we generate, so that we can subsidize electrical rates for our citizens and offer them, you know, cheap." electricity through our hydros, all of the profits that are generated are generated through Crown Corporations, 
which are exempt. So we could do exactly the same thing in Alberta to exempt our natural resource royalties by simply saying from this point forward, we're gonna charge a penny a barrel um, on oil and we're gonna charge a penny in MCF on gas. And instead of collecting a royalty, we'll now have a, a new department, which really, you know, our new uh, Crown Corporation, which really would just subsume part of the finance department, which is the part of the department that collects royalties and call it the, you know, Alberta Sustainable Energy Resource Management Corporation or whatever name you want to put on it and then have that corporation um, then charge the oil and gas industry um, a management fee or, um, you know, an accounting services fee or however we want to, you know, how we want to characterize it um, for um, oil and gas accounting and charge them the same amount per barrel and charge them the same amount per MCF as we'd otherwise be collecting as a royalty and say, okay, I'm sorry, from this point forward, all of these revenues are now exempt because these revenues are no longer being collected as a royalty. They're being collected as a management services fee or a, you know, or a production accounting fee through this new crown corporation. I mean, that's, you know, that's a mechanism, you know, that's completely available to the province of Alberta. Another mechanism, you know, that's available is, you know, is to take is to is to take the private to take Prime Minister Trudeau to court over the unlawful extension of equalization in 2019, which he did without consent of the Alberta Legislature, and simply seek a declaration saying once and for all that pursuant to this referendum that Alberta will do the things set out in, in Section 36. It'll help promote equal opportunities uh, for the well-being of other Canadians. It'll help further economic development to reduce disparities. And, uh, you know, we'll be committed to providing essential public services of reasonable quality, um, you know, to all Canadians who live in Alberta. You know, so, um, you, you know, Alberta can simply move forward, um, you know, outside of the scope of Section 36. And one of the biggest ways that they could do that is to get their heads around the fact that we need to start collecting a lot more, um, you know, revenue than would other, otherwise go to Ottawa in, in Alberta. So, I mean, those are some of the thoughts that, you know, that I've been having, you know, in and around this. And I would dearly like to see this government start aggressively pursuing. I agree. Now, my thoughts are piling up, so I'm going to try and get through some of this stuff. First off. Uh, I actually owe you an apology because I forgot to introduce you. Now, there might be some of people that are watching and listening wondering, who is this guy and how the heck, what, what does he think he knows about any of this stuff? Well, Jeff Rath, is, uh, he's a lawyer. He's a constitutional lawyer. He's one of few people that have been before the Supreme Court and actually won, uh, in particular on uh, uh, Indigenous Affairs Matters. So he's represented Indigenous folks uh, across Canada for, what, 30, 30 years or something, Jeff? Long time. I've been, I've been practicing law going on 30, 32 years this year. Two years. So he, he knows what he's talking about. He is a constitutional scholar. Uh, he's also um, one of the folks who drafted or and is drafting what an Alberta constitution would look like. So when Jeff speaks about these things, um, this is like 30 years plus of experience that you're hearing from. So uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Jeff. And sorry that I forgot to introduce you in the first place. I'm horrible for that. Uh, the next thing, and this is right in your wheelhouse, nine times out of 10, when we do a webinar, somebody comments something like, what does it matter anyway? There is no constitution. It was never ratified. What's your uh, take on that statement? Well, I, I think the Supreme Court of Canada would probably disagree. So I think we're, you know, I think we're stuck with it. You know, not stuck with. I mean, we have a constitution that's in place in Canada. It started off, as everybody knows, with the the, the British North America Act, and at the, you know, at the end of the day, we have a you know we had amendments to the BNA Act, um, uh, you know, in the Constitution Act of 1982, where you know the Constitution was repatriated, for, you know, by Trudeau Senior from Great Britain. So we have we have the Constitution we have, and what I'm saying is that the Constitution that we have doesn't give Canada the authority that it has over Alberta's money and it's time for Alberta to stop being the needy younger brother, the younger sibling of Confederation, constantly looking to her approval from Toronto and Montreal, saying, oh, please, can we give you more money? We want you to like us finally. Because they're never going to like us. <laughs> I mean, right. let, it, let, it doesn't, I mean, they, you, you can't, you can't. Time and time, time again, 
right? You can't they're, appease that that group. Group. You can't appease that group. You can't do anything. It's like the people that talk about reducing human impact. It doesn't matter what you reduce. You're never reducing enough until you reduce yourself. They're, they're impossible. Well, and, yeah, and look at what we're dealing with right now. And it gets back to you know your earlier comments about the World Economic Forum. We are dealing with you know a complete you know I guess there's no other word for it but a complete idiocracy um, in and around the federal government. I mean they they managed to convince everybody that the world is coming to an end over CO2 emissions and that if somehow or other we don't devastate the economy of Canada and the economy of Alberta within the next five years that somehow or other we're all gonna, you know, all we're all gonna die. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got that, uh, you know, the autistic um, uh, high school dropout, Greta Thunberg continually screaming at world leaders about the death of the planet every five years. And, you know, and the five-year deadlines and 12-year deadlines where we're all supposed to die keep coming and going. And, of course, the simple fact of the matter is, with regard to all of this, is that nothing that we do in Canada at this point with regard to carbon emissions, even if you accept for a second that, um, that man-made CO2 is contributing to climate change, and obviously there's a lot of good arguments for the fact that isn't true, but the simple fact of the matter is that... Alberta's emissions and Canada's emissions are minuscule on a global scale when compared to the increases in CO2 output of China and India every single year. I think the last time I looked at the numbers, it was something like, you know, China and India increase their total output every year by more than 10 times Canada's total output, right? Yep. So. You know, ask yourselves, like, even if we were carbon, you know, if we went to carbon, uh, car, you know, if, uh, you know, somebody agreed that we were carbon zero tomorrow, whether, you know, we eliminated all CO2 output from Canada, whether it would make any difference. And that's leaving aside the fact that there's all kinds of studies and all kinds of data <laughs> that Canada has been carbon negative for years. Um, and that all our forests and grasslands and oceans and everything else absorb far more CO2 than we, than we, than we put out every year. So yeah, that, the- that info is, is out there. Um, we've done webinars specifically on those things. And I would actually encourage folks, if you want to learn more about that, um, not only go and check out our previous webinars, because Jeff, I think we spent two hours on one talking about this at one point. But also, I want you to go and check out a book by a fellow named Alex Epstein, and the book is called Fossil Futures, and it's a, it's a, what what's the subtitle? A Moral Case for Using More Oil and Gas is basically what it is. Check that out and read it, and that'll give you a lot of the information you need when you're talking to people about these subjects. But before we talk about that stuff anymore, I just want to go back to that question about the Constitution, and I want to make a comment. So... I've heard that before, people saying, oh, there's no constitution, so what are we doing? Well, my my comment is always, then what's your solution? But even bigger than that, I, I believe that if 38 million people, or say 37 million people out of 38 for that matter, believe that there's a constitution that is the supreme law of this land that we inhabit, and we have the Supreme Court, and we have the RCMP, and the people with guns, and the courts, and the jails, that is the way it is. Regardless of if somebody's found some small, strange nuance that suggests it doesn't exist, we agree as the majority of people in this country that it agrees, and those are the laws we live by. And that I don't think is going to change anytime soon. But what Jeff is talking about, these are things that we can do right now to improve things in Alberta. We we know, and we'll, we'll explain to you possibly in this webinar, maybe in another one, why independence is the answer to these things. But in the meantime, there's lots of things we can do right now. And Jeff's laid out two or three of them, two or three of them in this webinar that our government, our premier, could absolutely do and improve the lives of every single Albertan. It's one of the areas where we need to take back the sovereignty that the Constitution guarantees us in those matters, right? And the more we do that, the more we take back that from the federal government, which they've stolen from us, or which we've been too lazy to keep over the last 117, 18 years, the the stronger we become and the closer we get to being truly um, uh, free and and prosperous. 
So that I, I want to I want to stress that what's what Jeff's talking about when he says we should use a crown corporation to not pay as much equalization. That doesn't mean that we believe that the system that we're in is the best one and we should just have to fight these little battles with the federal government. That means that while we're pursuing a permanent solution, we can be doing these things. And by talking about this stuff in the webinar, I'm hoping it's my goal and Jeff's goal and the Alberta Prosperity Project's goal that you you folks become educated in these matters so that you can have these conversations with your friends, your neighbors, and even your politicians. And when that changes, when that when Alberta is educated as to what we can do, all of the sudden things start to happen. So that's that's where we're at. Doesn't mean that we don't believe in independence. It just means that we want to fix things immediately as well. Well, and the other thing that I think we need think to focus good. on is the fact that you know the Alberta government needs to get a lot more aggressive, um, you know, on you know in the area of taxation and collecting taxes, right? So you know, there's no reason that um, Alberta should not be collecting every single bit of tax that is owed, you know, by Albertans when they fill out their income tax form. So they should, we should be collecting the federal taxes. We should be the income taxes. We should be collecting the provincial income taxes. We should also be collecting, um, the, you know, the, the carbon taxes that have been levied by the Trudeau, the Trudeau regime. And then we can, well, then we'll tell the federal government under the constitution you know, what portion of those taxes we believe are legitimately, you know, the fair share of Ottawa from the standpoint of Ottawa needing, you know, being allowed to collect taxes under the BNA Act uh, for federal endeavors. So it shouldn't be, you know, we basically send, right now, we're basically sending all of our money to Ottawa, and then Ottawa tells us how much money we can have back. And it's really interesting. Even worse, we have to beg for it back. Oh, and, and that's what, and it's just disgusting to me that that's where that's where we're at. And one of you know one of the big recommendations from the you know from the Fair Deal panel was that you know that Alberta starts aggressively collecting its own taxes in Alberta, and you know then remitting to Ottawa you know what Ottawa share of the taxes should be after negotiating with Ottawa as to what Ottawa should have rather than the current system. And unsurprisingly, that recommendation of the Fair Deal panel. Jason Kenney went out of his way to say, oh, this is just awful. And what a stupid idea. And we can't, you know, the country can't operate that way. And I never, you know, blah, blah, blah. I will never agree to that. And of course, you know, that, you got to put that in the context of Jason Kenney wanting to be prime minister of Canada. He, you know, as far as Kenny, as far as I'm concerned, Al, you know, Alberta and being premier of Alberta was only ever a stepping stone from Jason Kenney on his road to becoming, you know, prime minister of Canada. And he was certainly never going to do anything in Alberta with regard to equalization or with regard to passing legislation to have Alberta collect, you know, all of its all the taxes in Alberta in Alberta. Um, if that was going to make his life more miserable when he finally became uh, prime minister of Canada, which was obviously it, it would, it would make his job more difficult, wouldn't it? Not having those billions of well, dollars and, to play with. Of course, you know, thankfully now we have a, a government in Edmonton that you know believes in keeping alberta's money in alberta and hopefully we'll see a very aggressive agenda very soon coming out of um you know the premier's office for the next legislative session in terms of passing actual laws to uh you know to change these things because yeah right we can now, what's no i mean that's it right now you know premier smith and her cabinet have control of the legislature and the statute book and they need to be aggressively passing laws to throw Ottawa out of Alberta. They're not here to help us. We know they're not here to help us. They're here to do the opposite. They're here to destroy our industries. They're here to dictate to the province of Alberta how the province of Alberta is going to develop Alberta resources within the province of Alberta um, with, with the ridiculous um, you know, uh, carbon schemes and you know, in carbon neutrality or carbon negativity ideas in mind, none of which make any sense at all. So, you know, this is what we have to, you know, keep encouraging the present government to do is to, well, they have control of the statute book, aggressively start passing laws to end equalization as they, you know, as far as, far as I'm concerned, as they've been directed to do by the people of Alberta and to push Ottawa back out of the province. Like even on the carbon tax issue, the, you know, the reason that Ottawa is currently collecting carbon tax 
is that Alberta's not assessing the carbon tax in, in, in the way that the federal statutes say that they should. So Alberta could simply pass legislation saying, henceforth, we're going to collect all of the carbon tax here in Alberta and put it in a, you know, put it in a bank account to give it back to, um, uh, to get, you know, give it back to Alberta homeowners the minute we get rid of those fools in Ottawa that brought that legislation in and the minute that that legislation is amended. So, I mean, that's an option that uh, is available to Alberta. Or alternatively, to immediately um, go to court to relitigate the whole issue of whether or not man-made carbon really is an existential threat. Because everybody's got to remember that the Supreme Court decision, and we've spoken about this before you know, on this show, that Supreme Court decision on the carbon tax was not a decision that was based on a trial of an issue. So there wasn't a trial in the courts in Alberta on whether or not, you know, um, carbon being produced in Alberta or carbon being produced in Canada is a threat, an existential threat to the world. That case went up as a, um, uh, you know, as a reference on a division of powers with regard to a tax issue. But notwithstanding that, you know, our liberal government appointed Supreme Court found that you know, somehow or other that CO2 was a threat to the world, leaving aside, of course, the fact that without CO2, we wouldn't be able to eat or live on this planet. But let's, you know, they just immediately mm-hmm. ignored that issue and said because it was an existential threat to the world, it was an existential threat to Canada. And therefore, um, you know, this extension of federal powers could be allowed on an emergency basis. Well, there needs to be a court case brought in the courts of Alberta challenging the fact that there is an actual climate change emergency and challenging the fact that anything that we do in Canada has any effect whatsoever on global climate, because I don't believe that there's any evidence that it does. And again, you you know, billions and billions of dollars are being siphoned out of this province every year and being put into the hands of, you know, of, of maniacs, frankly, in Ottawa that are hell bent and determined to destroy uh, the provincial economy or the, the economy of Alberta and the economy of Canada based on unprovable on the unprovable scientific premise that any CO2 emissions from Canada somehow affect global climate. So that ruling, I was absolutely, I, I couldn't believe uh, the premier actually explained to me, Premier Smith, why we lost that. She said, we never fought the carbon tax in court because the ruling literally said, because neither neither party disputes the facts of climate change. Uh, we rule in favor of the federal government because climate change. So there, there was no fight. Well, Jason's Kenny fight to end carbon tax, smoke and mirrors. His fight to end equalization, smoke and mirrors. And part of the reason why is because of, it's an answer to this question actually. So Conrad basically asked, why don't we just invoke section 46 of the constitution and reopen uh, um, uh, to have the constitution amended. And that would be amazing if we could do that. But I think there's only one way we could possibly get the constitution amended in this country to fix Alberta's position. And that would require leverage. So Jeff, do you want to explain real quick why it would be so difficult for us to open the constitution and have it fixed so that Alberta gets a better deal? Well, there's been no shortage of constitutional scholars that have written about the amending formula in the Canadian Constitution. And they laughably, you know, refer to the so-called amending formula, you know, in the Canadian Constitution is the unamendable formula in the Canadian Constitution. Because, you know, the, the simple fact of the matter is, for some of the changes that we're talking about, you're never going to get Quebec and Ontario to agree you're never going to get, and given the structure of equal, you know, of, of equalization as an example, um, you're never going to get um, either Quebec, Ontario, or the Maritimes to agree. So you're never going to ever get to the threshold that you need to bring about any amendments that would be in the interest of Alberta. The simple fact of the matter is, is that Ontario and Quebec benefit too greatly from the present status quo to ever go along with the constitutional amendments that Alberta would propose. So from an Alberta perspective, the only real way to amend, you know, the Alberta or the Canadian constitution 
is to separate is, and, is, and is to simply give effect to what, you know, we saw during the convoy, which is that, you know, we haven't left, uh, we haven't left Canada. Canada's already left us. And for Albertans to get their head around the fact that, you know, if we were to vote for independence, that we would literally become the country in the world with the highest GDP per capita, um, you know, in, you know, in the world. So, you know, that's what people need to get their heads around. And I think that's why, you know, EPP needs to keep doing what it's doing and, you know, educating people on, you know, on the benefits of independence, because the simple fact of the matter is, as long as we stay in Canada, we are looking at a very bleak economic future in this province. You know, if, uh, you know, if Trudeau and his minions had their way, they'd be shutting down the oil industry in, you know, within five years. You know, we'd be looking at, uh, you know, a devalued Canadian currency. We're still facing a huge crisis on the horizon from the $1.8 trillion in debt that uh, Justin Trudeau has managed to rack up over the last uh, eight years of his mismanagement of this entire country. Um, you know, so, you know, th this is what Albertans need to get their heads around. I mean, the other thing is too, and I've cited the number of, you know, $189 billion that's left Alberta just in the last eight years. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, since the advent of equalization, it's been close to, you know, it's been well over $500 billion that's left um, Alberta. And um, we're the only province in Canada that could actually leave Canada debt free and just say, sorry, but, you know, like we've already, you know, we've already paid our share of the debt. We don't know what you people are going to do on a going forward basis, but we're going to be fine. Do you want to take that question, Jeff? And the, the question from uh, Mickey Shevsky is, can collection of taxes and changes to equalization payments be advanced as policy and voted on at the AGM in November? And the answer is yes. And I'm, I'm encouraging everybody. I think the deadline, uh, we should double check on that, but I think the deadline is August 1st. So everybody should be, um, you know, putting their policy proposals into their local constituency associations to have them, you know, to make make it to the policy floor, um, you know, for the for the UCP AGM, because I think that, you know, I think that the Premier Smith and her government need to be told um, through, you know, through the mechanism of uh, the, the policy the policy platform of the UCP that Albertans demand legislation to bring an end to equalization in keeping with the referendum, and that the um, the changes to the tax collection system with regard to carbon tax, income tax, and everything else happen sooner rather than later. It's time to cut off Trudeau's money. You know, like if he, he basically wants to take billions of dollars from Alberta every year so that he can continue to pay people who are, you know, exorbitant salaries, um, you know, who literally spend their days planning to destroy the province of Alberta, the provincial economy of the province of Alberta. And it's, you know, it's time to cut off their money. It is. It absolutely is. Now, I'm sure there might be some people out there um, thinking, well, why would anybody be involved with this? Why would you do this? There's a rumor going around out there right now that every politician and every political party is all corrupt and they're all bringing in these globalist agendas. That is a bold-faced lie. I can tell you that with confidence because I've met a lot of our MLAs past and present over the last three years. And the one great thing about meeting people and speaking to them face-to-face -face as human beings is you can have those kind of conversations. So this didn't happen. We're not in this situation because every politician is bad and every party is bad. We're in this situation largely because the people stayed on their couches watching friends while the government was doing these things because they thought it was the way the world wanted to go. It's not because everybody's corrupt. It's not because everybody works for the UN, uh, the UN or the, the WEF. It's because people weren't paying attention. And some of the people that are telling you these things, they were actually involved in those organizations while this stuff was happening. So the hypocrisy I'm hearing is absolutely astounding and it's dangerous because if you're going to allow yourself to be convinced not to do something like go to the AGM 
and vote on policy and have your voice heard and participate in democracy because somebody has convinced you that they're evil people, that's not a solution at all. What that is, is setting up for another failure in which people don't stand up and speak their voice so that the people that are saying these things and creating these rumors can step in and say, oh, well, I'm your only hope. So we have to be smarter than this. We have to start participating in democracy and changing things. A lot of those MLAs um, that were in office when some of these policies started coming out, they're against it. They're absolutely against it. It's happening because the polls suggest that that's what's going to make them government. So we got a we got a big job to do here. We have to educate Albertans as to why these things are happening and how we fix it. And then we have to deal with all of these constant attacks um, that are that are threatening to stop this movement, right? Like Je Jeff says, go and vote on these policies. These are things we can do right now, immediately. And they and when we accomplish these things, like like uh, changing equalization and and another comment was having an Alberta pension plan where that three billion dollars we overfund stays here for us. Those two things alone would give Alberta the resources to to literally change the world. And if you're going to throw that opportunity away uh, because somebody says that everybody's evil, I I don't know how you'd be able to look at yourself in the mirror personally. Now, there was some what? more comments there, Jeff. I don't know if you can you see them scrolling by or just the ones I put up? Just the ones you put up. Okay, I'll I'll find them. I'm sure you have something to chime in there. But I wanted to jump in on the you know on, on what you were saying about you know all these you know rumors floating around about you know this that and the other thing. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, I've never joined an Alberta Independence Party. You know, for a you know for a very simple reason, I find most of the the separatist parties you know in this province are you know the Independence parties are far too disorganized. Um, are you know can't you know continue you know can't move forward in a direction with any degree of unity i think the fact that we have 13 you know so-called independence parties right now in alberta you know is a pretty good indication of the problem problems that we have in that regard and why it is that you know i belong to app which is a you know which is an you know which is an organization that is dedicated to ed simply educating people on the benefits of independence and that includes most importantly educating people in government with regard to the benefit of independence. And, you know, and yes, I think as I absolutely. At our meeting in Bowdoin, where we had over 500 people show up on a beautiful Saturday afternoon to talk about the benefits of, uh, you know, of Alberta independence, you know, the fact that, you know, we have an Alberta Sovereignty Act, you know, is because of the grassroots support for APP. So, you know, and that's not, you know, this Alberta Sovereignty Act is not you know, something that the World Economic Forum is very happy with. And it's not something that fits very well within the, you know, within the World Economic Forum agenda. And of course, the other thing that we're dealing with is we have these independent parties that, you know, can't get their act together, um, you know, elect, you know, lunatic leaders that they then throw out, and they, you know, they keep changing leaders like socks and uh, thinking that they're gonna create some sort of credible alternative um, you know, to govern, to govern the province, nobody, nobody buys it. And then they get upset and then they start accusing, you know, uh, APP of being aligned with the WEF, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Or alternatively, you know, starting rumors about, you know, Danielle Smith being, you know, part of the WEF and so on. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I just think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, people are jealous of the traction that APP is getting. Um, you know, people are envious of the amount of support that APP has um, in terms of being able to move this agenda forward, you know, through the present government, which is something that we're all very committed to and very proud of and something that we're going to continue to do. So, you know, I think people, you know, need to understand that there's a lot of, you know, when you hear a lot of these silly rumors, like, you know, they, like, you know, like, and I just shake my head whenever I hear it, you know, that, that somehow or other APP is, is shilling for the World Economic Forum. Uh, you know, just read my last half dozen substacks, and I don't think you'll find a word in there that's the least bit complimentary to or of the World Economic Forum, right? I, so, I even have a t-shirt that says WEF beater. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, which I think people have suggested you probably should wear. <laughs> but, I made the uh, newspaper. 
Yeah, no, for, well, for sure. I, I'm not, so, but anyway. uh, no, I, I like. Hey, I mean, we see various politicians standing up, and you say, "Oh, okay, I'll, you know, here's another one on the list." I mean, you know, Aaron O'Toole coming out the other day, you know, making a whole bunch of pro World Economic Forum, uh, you know, statements. I mean, obviously, he's out of politics now, and you know, needs to, you know, needs to get his ESG score up so that he, you know, his new business of doing risk analysis for multinational corporations will thrive and he's not going to be able to thrive if people think that he's not on board with the current globalist agenda. But to somehow suggest that- He has to get in line. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, um, but to somehow suggest that the Alberta government is presently formulated or the Alberta Prosperity Project somehow supports the objectives of the World Economic Forum. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the empirical evidence is to completely to the contrary. So I'm going to, I'll say a little bit of something about the independence parties as well. So I actually considered running as an MLA for one of the independence parties. I considered this a couple of years ago. And the reason I did it is because I firmly believe that Alberta needs to take a stand. We need to stand up and say enough is enough. And I thought, you know, maybe that's the best way to do it. But what I realized is the unfortunate part of new parties and especially ones that don't have politicians at the table is they don't have the experience. And that's not to say that they're not good intention, that there's really good people, but it takes time to grow that stuff. And yes, I think, Jeff, we've seen frustration that it wasn't growing as fast as it needed to to change things immediately this last election. And unfortunately, a lot of good people were dragged through the mud because they realized that that wasn't going to be the answer at this particular time. Now, I would love to see an independence-minded party get their crap together and change Albertans' hearts and minds so that they were supportive of independence. I would love to see that. I haven't seen a lot of that happening, but what I have seen is venues completely filled with people that want to hear APP's message about freedom through independence, about, you know, we, we speak at them frequently, where we were frequently, and we would ask the question in the beginning, how many people believed that uh, independence was the only solution for Albertans and maybe half the room put up their hand. We would deliver our presentations thoughtfully, logically, and and we'd ask the same question afterwards and almost everybody put up their hand. Almost everybody, when they hear the rationale behind independence in, in Alberta and even outside of Alberta, they're jealous of us, it resonates with them because it's a real solution that we can work towards. And it's not something that requires or that relies on a political party. It's not something that relies on a political or on a politician. It's encouraging and educating the people to become the parade that the politicians want to get in front of. And that's where the real changes happen. And I really hope that uh, one of the independence-minded parties gets their, uh, you know, they, they make some ground. Uh, but until then, I'm going to keep doing my job, which is educating people about freedom and prosperity through independence, hosting these webinars and speaking out against the WEF and their, you know, their globalist agenda, which I do all the time. And I guess, you know, if I am a WEF plant, I'm very, very bad at it because I frequently point out the stupid things they're doing. I've even flown to the Netherlands twice to talk to people uh, that are experiencing these things, but farther advanced than we are in Canada, to expose the absolute idiocy of what these global idiots are trying to do to us. That's not in well, our best interest. No, and, and unfortunately, I've kind of moved past you know the thought that these people are idiots. I think they know very well what they're doing. And I really, you know, I mean, my, my view of the World Economic Forum, and I've said this before, is it's nothing more or less than an investment club for multi-billionaires that get together once a year that you know to deter to tell people how they're going to live their lives in a manner that increases the flow of taxes from our governments into the pockets of their investments and in the in, in, in their businesses. I mean, yep. you know, all of this foolishness, let, you know, let's face it. I mean, let's all of this foolishness about we can't eat beef anymore and beef is, should only be for the rich and and you know, and it should be a delicacy, and all you know, all of that, all of that craziness. I mean, there's obviously people within the WEF that are already, you know, building the manufacturing plants to create the bug paste that's soon going to end up in every single form of food 
that processed food that's in our supermarkets. I mean, there's this more. Is, this is the way the world's going, and they're making us pay for it. You know, and, and again, you know, this is you know, this is just that's just one example. And of course, they have the entire global media at their disposal. So you know, even on Fox News, they've got bug chefs on Fox, you know, cooking bugs for Tucker Carlson, and you've got um, you know, at, at least every week or two you know, some story that tries to normalize the idea that we're all going to start eating bugs instead of eating beef. And again, yeah, you and know, it's, that, it's not, you know, that's not, it's not idea. normal it, well, and it's, and it's counterproductive. There's, there's a lot of the people that are behind all of this messaging that are already front running multi-billion dollar investments into food manufacturing, you know, food processing plants that are going to be spewing out this, you know, about this disgusting crap that they're going to be putting in all of our food. You know, so, I, you know, I was talking to my wife about it the other day. It's like, you know, pretty, you know, we're going to be back sooner rather than later to, you know, literally only, you know, only eating anything as a family that you can actually see that it's a vegetable or see that it's a, you know, that it's actual meat that's come, that's come from muscle tissue, um, you know, as opposed to grown in a lab. But it's, you know, it's just disgusting what they're planning on doing with our food supply. And they're going to make all of us pay for it under the so-called green agenda, where this is all going to be massively subsidized by, you know, by governments that are being elected through the WEF agenda. And to me, it just, it makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't. I got to really, we're almost out of time here, but I got to let you know this real quick. So I just found out the whole food thing where they're interfering with our food supply because climate change. Um, the newest thing that the federal government here in Canada is talking about is potentially phasing out certain species of livestock, only allowing specific species to be raised. So interfering in animal husbandry that we've been doing for thousands of years. But anyway, in addition, feeding the animals synthetic food that reduces their methane output. So they literally want to feed the cows Beano so they don't fart as much. Like this is how insane these things are going. This is why we need to pursue things like ending equalization now, because that those billions of dollars that we earn in Alberta and flow to Eastern and Central Canada, billions of those dollars are used to support and prop up the very organizations that are influencing Canadian politics with anti-human agenda. So if you really want to stop what the WEF is doing here in Alberta, go to the AGM, vote on the policy, and get our government to stop sending money to fund our own destruction. Anything well, other uh, than that, if you, if you sit at home and say, oh, they're evil, I'm not going to go, you're literally helping them do it because our money will keep going there. And I can, I can tell you now, having, again, spoken to a number of MLAs and, and spoken to a bunch of people involved in different riding associations, there's a real grassroots movement afoot right now within the UCP to put forward policy changes to be voted on, you know, at the upcoming AGM, um, you know, that will accomplish the things that we need to have accomplished for the prosperity of this province. And, you know, I would encourage everybody to get involved and to stay involved. And every time you can, um, you know, write to your MLAs and say, well, what are we doing about this? Why aren't we, you know, adopting uh, you know the uh, e you know the uh, you know the equalization plan being put put forward uh, by APP to end equalization in Alberta. Uh, you know enough is enough. I mean we've all got you know we all got together and voted uh, to end equalization in Alberta, and it's time that we start writing our MLAs and demanding that they follow through on the referendum of uh, you know of, of the referendum of 2021 and bring an end equalization once and for all. And that's not going to happen by sitting at home thinking that everybody and everything around you is evil. It's not going to, it's going to happen by getting involved, um, having your voices heard. Michelle points out, you can get involved with the Alberta project, uh, Prosper prosperity project by going to that link there, uh, Alberta prosperity project.com slash volunteer. Um, if you haven't already renewed your membership, renew your membership. Be counted as one of the, the people in Alberta that want to pursue a solution. Every problem that we discuss in these webinars, we offer a solution. And it's not just some pie in the sky. 
it might be able to be accomplished solution. These are real, solid, logical, plausible solutions that people like Jeff Rath with 30 years of constitutional law have been thinking about. There's thousands and thousands of man and woman hours of brain time thinking about these solutions. We've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people, politicians included, as to what our solution is and how we're going to fix these things. And we can do it. It's real. You can reach out and touch it and you can get involved. This isn't another one of those things where you, you're just going to have to cheer from the sidelines or maybe join a Facebook group. This is something where you can actually offer up your time or your money if you can and pursue a solution rather than just talking about problems all the time. And, you know, we, we do talk about problems because people need to know, but we're never going to we're never going to put a bunch of problems to you and not not offer a solution. So, Jeff, with, you, with you, regarding, you told us how we can end equalization. And I think we should do it. And, and just to jump in with regard to EPP membership, make no mistake, your membership matters. The more of us there are together, the more our voice is heard in Edmonton. And, you know, and don't think for a second the fact that, you know, that there's a 10,000 person group of people that are committed to ending equalization, that are committed to promoting uh, Alberta sovereignty and independence, that are committed to making positive changes for Alberta's future, isn't something that they, you know, that, that, that they're ignoring in Edmonton and that our views aren't being heard. So the more of us, you know, the more people that join and the more people that, uh, you know, express, you know, their viewpoint through APP membership, the stronger we are collectively. So I'd like to thank everybody uh, for tuning in tonight and listening. And uh, as always, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to you. So thank you very much. Yeah, and and thank you for me as well. And thank you, uh, Jeff. I know you've got a really busy schedule. You've got a pretty uh, bustling, uh, a bu a bustling practice and schedule these days. So I appreciate that you could take time out of your day to come and speak to us. And uh, you know, folks, I hope that. I hope that our webinars are encouraging to you. I hope that you find some value in them. Uh, if you do and you can, please consider uh, um, buying a membership. If you already have a membership, send a small donation to help us do these things. We have some really, really big plans coming up for the next few months. Uh, it's going to require basically traveling all over Alberta and speaking to some groups about these things. And we need your help to do it. And not only do, not only do we need help financially to do it, but we also need your time. So if you want to get involved, please follow the links on the albertaprosperityproject.com page and send us a message and let us know what your area of expertise or strength is and how you want to help. And, and you, can, uh, you can be one of the folks that help bring Alberta to a free and prosperous future. And with that, I will say thanks again, Jeff. And thank you to everybody that watched. Thank you to everyone that commented. Please continue to share the video out on your pages and comment as you, uh, as you see things come up. Answer people's questions for us, and we'll try and do the same. And besides that, have a great night. I'm going to go pick up my friend Jasper from Calgary. Good night, everyone. Night, everyone. Oh, and thank you, Walter, for the kick-ass intro that you built for us. Uh, I'm going to play it again because it's just so awesome, just like you. <laughs>